So we're going to be in Acts 28, and if you know anything about the book of Acts, this is the last chapter in the book of Acts. And so we're going to be looking at the last few verses of, uh, this, of this book. Next week, we're going to do another kind of summary uh, look at the book of Acts, kind of uh, as a, an entire whole, uh, maybe what we learned, what we saw next week as a way to close up the book. Uh, and um, But this, uh, this week, this passage is going to lead us into communion. So just in case uh, you're not up on your Mediterranean geography, uh, so where are we? Uh, that is the Mediterranean Sea. Right in the middle is Italy in the boot there. If you're wondering where is uh, Israel, where's Jerusalem, on this map it's in the bottom right. Uh, that's the Mediterranean Sea there in the middle. And uh, see if you see that, uh, that, that section that does like a Y with those two bodies of water, Israel is just to the north of uh, the one that is on the right side of that Y um, or V, whichever. Uh, anyway, um, so Medi- uh, Israel's in the bottom right of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Paul is going up to go one more. We'll kind of zoom in on Italy. Uh, so he's in Malta. That's where they had the shipwreck in chapter 27. Uh, and they landed there early 28. He got hit bit by the, the snake, remember that? And then they're going to travel up halfway up Italy. Um, a little bit safer travel rather than going through the open water of the Mediterranean. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's where we're heading. And uh, so chapter 28, starting in verse 11. This is God's word. Would we express our submission to it by standing as we hear the word of God together? Remember, Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he says this, After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, uh, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to uh, Petolia, uh, whatever, Uh, and uh, (laughs) and there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, uh, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans." And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, but there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak to you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. 
But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere uh, it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. God, uh, this is your word, and we long to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Father, I pray that we would not be like those uh, that are spoken of in this passage, the ones that are the most familiar with your word, yet the ones who never hear it. So Father, by your Spirit, would you break in, speak to us, uh, convict us, encourage us, build your church, And Father, for those who have never bowed their knee to you uh, as their king, would today be the day of salvation. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. The Ironman Triathlon, 2.4 miles of a swim, followed by 112 miles of a bike ride, followed by 26.2 miles of a run. If, if a marathon is grueling enough, add a hundred miles bike and a two mile swim uh, before you get to the marathon. It is grueling. It's endurance. It's a battle of the sheer human will. And this past week, uh, Chris Nickich became the first athlete, uh, the first athlete with Down syndrome to complete the Ironman triathlon. He trained for six days a week for 13 months in order to attempt to complete this race. Uh, In an Ironman, this particular one had a 17-hour time limit. If you didn't make it in inside of 17 hours, uh, your time didn't count. He finished in 16 hours, 46 minutes, and 9 seconds. And let me tell you, I bet those 9 seconds mattered uh, to that time. He finished just 15 minutes under the time limit, 16 straight hours of swimming, biking, and running. How in the world would he keep going? Well, this picture here uh, is of him crossing the finish line, but he raced many times alongside, sometimes even tethered to, for his safety, to a guide named Dan Grebe. 
He was his coach through these times. Uh, and Dan uh, swam, ran, and biked right alongside Chris through the entire race. Chris worked. Uh, Chris obviously did all the work by himself, by every stroke, pedal, and stride. But yet it was Dan who was right next to him. Uh, Dan actually said to Chris's dad, uh, so the, the guide said to uh, Chris's father, he said, just give him to me for 17 hours and I will return to you an Iron Man. <laughs> it's been said about a marathon just by itself that the most difficult part uh, is kind of around mile 21 when your brain says, uh-uh, we're done. Uh, and uh, nope, your body starts to fight against you running. I would assume it's the same with an Iron Man, but it happens multiple times, you know. And so it's the coach uh, for for Chris. Keep going. You've got this. I'm right here with you. The li- living proof of the gift of encouragement. And what's interesting is at the at the end of the Book of Acts. So all the triumphs and all the advances of the gospel through Peter and his preaching, through Paul, his conversion and his preaching, and all of these monumental moves of God into these cities that don't know the first thing about Jesus. Paul goes in and he speaks, and sometimes he ends up in prison. Sometimes they reject it. Sometimes there's a mass move of the gospel. And in all of that, at the very end of the book of Acts, what do we see is Paul needing to be encouraged needing to be encouraged. And we see the gift of encouragement on display as Paul enters into Rome. And so when we tracked that, that part of his journey through verses 11 to 16, you know, all the way up, uh, he recounts, or Luke does, recounts that journey from Malta to Rome, but he provides us details of the ship that they went on. It was an African ship from Alexandria, and it had painted the images of the twin gods on it. Okay, for us, that doesn't really mean anything. But in, uh, in that culture, it was the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. They were the two that were transformed by Zeus, transformed by Zeus, or at least in mythology, this was the, the legend, uh, transformed them into twin gods, and they were represented by the constellation Gemini. Well, the constellation Gemini, or Gemini, was considered uh, as a sign of good fortune for sailors. That these twin gods were thought to be responsible for ensuring smooth sailing when you were on the open waters. It's interesting. That was what Greek mythology would say, but Paul took no encouragement from it because that was not the living God. Interestingly, what brought Paul hope and comfort. What brought him uh, those things was not the presence of two pagan gods, the gods of smooth sailing. What brought him comfort and hope was found in verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us basically coming, they came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And hear this, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. They simply showed up. The brothers in the Lord, they didn't even really have to say anything. Paul, just on seeing those guys, was deeply encouraged. The Three Taverns was about 33 miles outside of Rome. 
uh, the, the form of Appius was about 10 miles away. For us, that's no big deal. But if you're walking, you know, that, that is no small thing to come and visit somebody 33 miles walk away. Uh, and, and so when Paul sees them, what does he do? He thanks God and he takes courage. The idea of what does it mean to, that he took courage? It's actually two words in the Greek. Uh, the first one, to take, is to, like, to take hold of something, to acquire it, to, to receive it. Uh, so like he gained something that he didn't have before. Uh, and the idea of, of taking courage is, is the idea of confidence and boldness. And so he took hold of confidence. He acquired boldness. How? By seeing the brothers in the Lord. Just come to say hi and to be with him. And then he, it wasn't just that he was encouraged and now he has confidence, but he thanked God because he knew that it was God who sent them. That any encouragement that we get from the brothers and sisters in the Lord is from the hand of God. He thanked God and he took hold, took hold of this confidence. Well, back in 2010, in August, we came uh, and you all welcomed us uh, to, to be here at Grace Point, August of 2010. If you remember early the next, or early first part of 2011, my dad was diagnosed with kidney cancer. Uh, and in September of that, ne- of that year, so a year after we came to Grace Point, my dad, uh, my dad uh, died from his battle with kidney cancer. And he died on a Friday morning. He died on a Friday morning, and given how the timing worked out and the, and the availability of the church that they went to, we did a memorial service on a Tuesday evening, a Tuesday evening uh, down in Tampa. Um, it was the memorial service, and so we got ready for the visitation, got ready for the service, and I was deeply moved on seeing carloads of people from here in Irmo, South Carolina, that showed up to my dad's funeral on a Tuesday night in Tampa. That means that you took a day off of work, you drove down, you might most likely either drove back through the night, which some did, or missed another day of work. And quite honestly, I don't remember a thing you all said to me. But I most definitely remember that you were there. Your presence said, we love you. Your presence uh, said, you know, uh, we, there's nothing we wouldn't do for you. Your presence said, we're with you. Your presence said, we are in this kingdom work back in Irmo. We're in this together. And on seeing you, just like Paul, on seeing them, Paul took courage, so did we. Paul says, you know, in a sense, to keep going. Uh, and that's what the ministry of presence, the ministry of just being with somebody does. So really, a simple question. If Paul, at the end of the book of Acts, needed to be encouraged after seeing all of these wins for the gospel, don't, doesn't every one of us need that same encouragement? And so who in your life simply needs you to be with them? That you represent as you walk in, you represent the living God as you walk in. 
that you are bringing the love of Jesus with you? Who in your life uh, is someone that you maybe have avoided? Not like, like crazy avoided, but just you don't, know, you don't know what to say to them. You don't know what to do for them. And you've kind of maybe kept a little bit of a distance. Let me encourage you. Simply you showing up could be exactly what your friend needs. Could God simply be calling you to go see them? That your presence alone might be used of God. The gift of encouragement here for the Apostle Paul, and I think it's very much gospel work as well. But, I, uh, but this passage also helps us as an encouragement to, uh, to endure as people reject the gospel. Um, I don't know about you, but I tend to shrink back uh, when the possibility of rejection presents itself. You know, if I know I'm going to be walking into a difficult situation, you know, uh, uh, maybe I'll not share. Maybe I won't put things as explicitly as I could have, uh, you know, because someone might not respond well to the message of the gospel, um, almost as if rejection is a surprising outcome. For us to be involved in the gospel ministry, for us to be involved in speaking the truth of, of God's grace to people, rejection ought to be expected. And maybe even fairly often. We saw it all over the book of Acts. Why would it be any surprise for us? And, and it's the idea of rejection that causes us to shrink back. And God's saying, no, 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 keep going. Keep going. You know, that he took courage when he saw his brothers. Remember, he was detained as a prisoner. You know, in, in this passage, it says he's wearing this chain. Some would say most likely, yes, he's in a house, but he is chained to a Roman soldier uh, as he is there uh, for two years. Uh, so uh, I'm wearing this chain because of the gospel. He was brought before the tribunal. He appealed to Caesar for a, for a, he- a fair hearing. In all of that, even in all of that, Paul endures. He endures through that rejection. And we get to verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And he basically says, hey, the people of God in this city, I want to come and I want to speak to you and I want to present the gospel to you. He asked to see them, even though he faces rejection of many kinds, Paul endures in speaking the truth to those around him. So how does he speak? There's, there's kind of a threefold uh, um, idea of how he spoke, and, and it, we find it in verse 23. And so, uh, from morning till evening, so first off, we're lightweights, right? This whole little 30-minute, 30-40-minute sermon thing. Uh, morning till evening. So anyway, we won't do that. Uh, morning till evening, he did what? He expounded to them, he testified to the kingdom of God, and he tried to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he expounded, he unpacked, he testified, meaning he spoke as a witness, and he tried to convince or tried to persuade. Isn't that interesting? That that was very much a heart of the Apostle Paul was to try to convince and persuade people of what? Of the kingdom of God and about Jesus. But where did he speak it from? He tried to convince them of the kingdom of God and of Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. 
that Jesus is all over the Old Testament. That's why we would say this is the one story of Scripture, that the whole idea of being a New Testament Christian, quite honestly, doesn't exist. You are a biblical Christian. (laughs) Old Testament, New Testament, the story of God unfolding from Genesis to Revelation, that from the law of Moses, you can see Jesus. From the prophets, you see Jesus. And then, then Jesus comes in the flesh and fulfills all of those things. And he was trying to convince those who knew the Old Testament that Jesus was the hope of Israel, that he was the fulfillment of the gospel promises. It's interesting and we're going to pick this up next week in in fuller fashion, that what was the nature of the gospel? He spoke to them, he expounded, testified, and tried to convince them, sure, about definitely about Jesus, but what was the summary phrase of the gospel? It was of the kingdom of God. Not necessarily the death, resur- life, death, resurrection of Jesus. That's most definitely there. But he spoke about the kingdom of God. That the nature of the gospel is that you are transferred from one kingdom to another. That you live life and you begin life thinking that you are king. Or maybe even serving the kingdom of darkness, not even knowing it. And in the gospel, you are transferred to another kingdom, that Jesus becomes the ruler of your life, just as he is of all things. What's wild is Luke wrote the book of Acts. But guess what? He also wrote the book of Luke. Okay, good. You got that one. Uh, And um, his gospel ends in a very similar way as the ending of the book of Acts. If you want to flip back, you can. It'll be on the screen. Luke 24 uh, is where Jesus uh, runs into two two travelers on the road to Emmaus. Remember, he kind of, after his resurrection, he shows up next to these two and he starts walking with them. They don't recognize him. They're all downtrodden because Jesus died and they thought their hope was crushed. And so then, but it's Jesus walking next to them. And, And this is what he says to them. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That sounds a lot like what Paul just did in verse 23 of our passage You know, from Moses and the prophets, we see Jesus. And that's what Jesus was reporting, and that's what Paul is speaking from in uh, uh, in Acts 28. Now go back to uh, go back to our passage, Acts 28, verse 24. What was the result? Okay, so he's speaking these things, he's testifying to these things, he's trying to persuade people towards these things. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, and and others but others disbelieved. That sounds discouraging on one hand. Oh man, I wish everybody would believe, and absolutely I, I do, and I know that you would as well. But what's really, what's at least people made a decision. If you've heard Perry Bowers speak on evangelism, 
uh, he speaks and often says that you give people enough understanding of the scriptures and of the gospel that they can decide to either accept or reject Jesus. At least they make a decision. And so uh, that some disbelieved. It was a conscious decision to not trust in Christ. Now that sounds discouraging, but at least we know exactly where people are. At least you know where you are. You're either trusting in Christ or you are not. The middle ground of you hear it and you've never made a decision one way or the other, that's kind of the worst case scenario. You're just sitting there. And Jesus is saying, here's my word, I am king. Will you surrender to me or not? Now, he's not, a, he's not a ruthless dictator. He is the only and true good king that has ever walked this earth. And so uh, knowing the claims of, the, of, of Jesus, that he came to usher in a kingdom, are you at a place where you have rejected him or have you accepted him? Or are you sitting in the middle and you haven't thought one bit of making any kind of decision about that? Some were convinced, some disbelieved, but who was the most prominent that disbelieved is really interesting. That it was those who are most familiar with the things of God are the ones who reject the gospel. Verse 25 to 27 is a quote from Isaiah 6. We're going to read it out of, the, out of Acts, but feel free to go back and look at Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. Um, and basically, in disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement that the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, your forefathers, through Isaiah the prophet. He says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. These people's hearts have grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes, they've closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. That it is an occupational hazard for God's people who are a part of the external covenant community of his people that are around the things of God, that hear the things of God, that are children that are raised in covenant homes that love the Lord, the ones that could quote memory verses, could find and and beat you in a sword drill to any book in the Bible. You see all these things, but you never really see them. You've heard all of these things, but you're never really hearing It's interesting that some that disbelieved were the most familiar with the things of God. Many of you have grown up around the word. Many of you have grown up around the things of God. Is that possibly a description of you? That you know it, you could quote it, you can hear it, you've heard it all your life, you could talk circles around your mom and dad, but yet you have never really received it in your heart, heard it with your ears and seen it with your eyes. Is that you? Has your heart grown dull? Because what's sobering is this is the people of God, the covenant people of God in Israel, said in Isaiah, now applied to these people who are right in front of Paul in Rome. Does Paul keep going? 
Verse 28 is very sobering, yet extremely hopeful. Therefore, therefore, since your heart has grown dull, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. People of God who take such great pride in knowing the things of God, who have never truly surrendered to the things of God, God sent his word elsewhere. He sent them to people who have no understanding of of that of salvation, and they were the ones who listened. What's beautiful is we're sitting here, most of us, because of verse 28. That the gospel was rejected by the people, of, uh, people of, of Israel, the people of God. It was rejected there and it went to the Gentile nations. And that's why we're sitting worshiping together is because generations before us heard the beautiful message of the kingdom. The beautiful message of the grace of God. They listened, they surrendered and by faith trusted in Christ. And we are the spiritual great-great-great-great-grandchildren of verse 28. What's wild is that the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Luke ends in the same exact way. Hear this as we close before we go to the table. In Luke 24, verse 45, then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Remember how the book of Acts began? That you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, beginning from Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, the Gentile nations, all the nations of the world hearing the gospel. Are you one that have trusted and and surrendered to King Jesus? Or are you one that would say, you know what? I disbelieve and I don't trust him. At least you are making a declaration of what you're doing with the gospel this morning. I pray that God draws each one of us to know him. Let's pray. Uh, God, uh, would you, by your Spirit, uh, use uh, your word as we sing, as we reflect, as we uh, grapple with the things of God? Uh, Father, I pray and thanks for the gospel, the gospel message that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son that you love and have purchased our salvation through. So Father, in the midst of difficulty in a a world that uh, is oftentimes not making sense, God, give us hope, uh, the hope of Israel that's found in Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.